choir's asking me to take off my clothes. <laughs> I see a hand up in the balcony. <laughs> Thankfully, she wasn't raising money. Praise the Lord. As we look in the scripture today, I want to ask you, who do you identify yourself as? What, what are the things that you identify yourself as? What are the markers of who you are? Um, I was asked this week, we were traveling, we went uh, spring break to D.C., um, and it was great. Uh, the cherry blossoms were in bloom. Beautiful week. Uh, I had rain one day on Wednesday, but it was, it was a great time. Uh, I recognized uh, we were in the, we had gone to the Capitol, uh, and I, of course, wanted to go into the House and then go into the Senate and to watch our politicians do some wonderful things with the taxpaying dollars. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, I was telling somebody earlier today that there was kind of a, you have to check your phone, and so I went in and uh, I had to check my phone, and they give me, when I went into the House of Representatives, they give me a little red card that's my ability to get my phone back. And he said, are you planning to go to the Senate? I said, I am. Uh, the House opened at 2 o'clock that day. The Senate reconvened at 3. And I said, well, I'll spend 45 minutes in the House, and then I'll go over to the Senate. So uh, he said, well, don't bother coming back here to check, uh, or don't, don't come back to retrieve your phone, because you'll just have to do it again when you go to the Senate. Save you some time. And so uh, I, go, uh, I go back uh, to, to the, after I go into the House, I go to the Senate, and I'm standing in line to go into the chamber. And this lady... Uh, says, uh, ask me, who are you? Uh, and I said, uh, well, uh, my name's uh, Todd. Who do you think you are? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, well, I'm, my name's Todd. Uh, she goes, do you know someone here? I'm like, uh, no. And she goes, do you think uh, that you should be afforded some special privilege? And I said, it depends on the day. <laughs> uh, but she wasn't being funny. And she was, you know, you know the type of personality that does not know how to take sarcasm or any joke. I'm in the wrong thing. I mean, I'm in the wrong place, obviously. Uh, and there are rules, evidently. Um, and the House rules and the Senate rules, they don't go together. Can we imagine that in our Congress? Uh, and to which she said, uh, basically the issue was I had a House tag to get my phone uh, and I needed to have a Senate tag for that phone, so I needed to go retrieve my phone from the House of Representatives uh, in order to be able to enter to the Senate to then get a blue card. The House card was red, uh, and the Senate card was blue, and I said, well, I'm just checking a phone. Can I not leave it? No. I said, well, the House told me that, the people in the House told me that I could uh, avoid having to recheck. She goes, the House is incompetent. Have you not figured that out? I didn't have a comment to make to that one. But she asked me who I am, and she asked me, did I know someone? Now, I don't know. Maybe I should have told her that, uh, well, I know Mitch McConnell, or I know Chuck Schumer. I don't know which one I, which one I would have selected. I would think that she was probably a Schumer type of person, so I probably said, well, I know Chuck Schumer. But then I would have to explain that, and that would have been a lie, and that, you know, that whole thing. Uh, but the, the point is this. Who are you? What do you use to identify yourself? You are more than the sum total of your parts. Uh, and for many of us, when we use markers to identify who we are, we will say, well, 
I'm a male or I'm in the middle class or we will use in a political affiliation, we'll identify ourselves with a certain party or whatnot. And what I think is interesting is no matter what type of descriptive or what type of identity factor we want to ascribe to our persona or to our name, none of that is going to matter in eternity except for the fact that you and me, we are followers of Jesus. And if there's anything that we need to be known by, and it's very hard in this world uh, to do this, uh, you know, if people, you know, if people want to know who I am or what I'm about, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, I would say that first and foremost, uh, but what goes out there before me, uh, oftentimes, and, and this is true of many of us, the descriptive that comes to, or kind of comes to the surface oftentimes is not Jesus. And usually our descriptive, and I found this, uh, this to be extremely true when I traveled overseas, particularly in, in Africa, when people would ask me who you are, well, I would identify myself and say, well, my name is Todd and I'm a pastor, yada, yada. And that's not at all what they were interested in knowing. They didn't care what your profession was. They were interested in who you were. In other words, I'm Todd, I have a family, these are my children. They wanted to go at the heart of who I was rather than my identity which was caught up in a profession or my identity that's caught up in some kind of political affiliation. And I've come to the conclusion that the best descriptive that, that we'll, really we should really hone into for ourselves is to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we should be known by, head and shoulders above anything else. Uh, and, you know, I, I would say that, you know, if, you, if you're in business or, you know, how people look at you or you're in a profession and you've got a certain title, people know you by your title or they know you by your profession. I'm sure it's true uh, for the people in this room as far as if you run your own business, for instance, the Tiptons, if the Tiptons are out and about, they are the people, they're Chick-fil-A. Okay, they're chickens. Okay, that's, that's, that's kind of what they're known. That's just who they are. But I would dare say they probably would want what's more important than being Chick-fil-A. They are followers of Jesus. And like mine, if you had someone like Mike Harris, who uh, runs the Dairy Queen in Johnson City, he's the guy that owns the Dairy Queen or runs the Dairy Queen. He wouldn't want to be known by being the owner of the Dairy Queen. His identity is much broader than that. His identity would be, I'm a follower of Jesus. All of us in this room who are believers, that's what we want to be known by. But when we're asked or asked who we are or what we're about, sometimes being a follower of Jesus is down on the list. It's not the first thing that we run to. I find it interesting in this passage in Acts chapter 9, you have Saul who has persecuted the church. He has gone all around persecuting Christians, locking them up, having them flogged. His job is to stamp out the early Christian movement. And he does everything he can. He's a, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He has great political ties. He has great religious ties. And he is going around and he's doing everything that he can to kill Christianity, this uproot of Judaism, this uh, faction of people, this disturbance that's causing a wake, this identity that they want to obliterate. And so he's going around and he has this experience. He's going along this road. 
to Damascus. And suddenly we're told that there's this bright light. And this bright light blinds him to the point he can't see. And he hears a voice. And it is the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? It is a dramatic experience. Now, I've heard many, 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 many sermons about how before a person can be called into ministry, they need to accept Jesus Christ. The problem with that is that a person's conversion, a person's transformation, and a person's calling can happen in the same moment. It happened that way for Saul. Saul was going along, pursuing one thing, a blinding light. Jesus comes and intersects his life. And as a result, his life is changed. He's blinded. And for several days, he cannot see. And then there is this messenger, Ananias, who comes on the scene. And we learn about this in in chapter 9. Ananias... Tells, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Jesus tells Ananias, I want you to go to a certain house where Saul is being kept. Uh, and in verse 13, it says, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, referring to Saul, and all the harm he has done your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias in verse 15, Go. This man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, that Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias was sent so that Saul, who would become Paul, could see Again, we are sent. Our role as followers of Christ is to go out into the world to share the good news of the gospel. But our role in sharing the gospel is that you and I, as believers of Jesus, who have trusted in Christ, we are sent so others may receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is our singular purpose on this planet. And as we go and as we share, we are worshiping and glorifying God and giving praise to Him. God sends people so that the blind may see. And our ability to see is a result of someone being sent and the Lord opening our eyes to a new reality. Everyone who accepts Christ 
has someone that they can refer to that was instrumental. Uh, and I, I've never met anybody that can't share this story, this story. Everybody has someone that they could go to and say, this person was instrumental in my coming to faith. Or this person was instrumental after I accepted Christ in opening my eyes or helping me see spiritual things. We all have those types of stories. Now, that's not to say, that's not to say that God can't do it himself. And maybe your story is that God revealed himself in a personal way and you've been changed and it was a result of that. But I want to sh- sh- share with you the importance of looking perceiving and discerning the fact that God sends people not just in the beginning of our journey with him, but all throughout the journey so that he can continually open our eyes to things that before we might not have been able to comprehend and understand. Let me give you an illustration. If you were to go into a health class or a health lesson in the public school, for instance, if Beth Deloach is teaching second grade, if she wanted me to come, she goes, Pastor Todd, I'd like for you to come and I want you to keep, teach my kids about sex, okay? Let's say that she did that. She wouldn't do that. But let's say that she wanted to do that. What a second grader needs to know, what a second grader should know, and what someone in high school or college should know are different. A second grader is not old enough. I don't care how mature they are. I don't care how grandiose your child may be. does not matter. A second grader has no business knowing of the facts of life. No business whatsoever. It would be inappropriate, I would argue, almost abusive to share with them the details of all that we could share. Would you agree with that? Why? Because they're not developmentally ready to perceive or to understand. Even in those conversations with funerals, when someone dies and a child you know, has the opportunity to go to a funeral, I, you know, parents say, should I allow them to go to the funeral? I think that's up to the parent. But you know, for me to take a two or three-year-old uh, to a funeral and attempt let's say, to explain all that is going on, what that body is, where that person's spirit is, they don't have a mind to understand. And how do I know that? Well, when we go and you look, let's just say, for Sunday school lessons. The adults might have a Sunday school lesson that goes all through John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But when you go into the preschool classroom, if they're teaching John 16, they're going to teach God loves the world. It's the same message, but it's packaged in such a way that they can receive it. Many of us, and this is the difficulty in the church, many of us are still preschoolers when it comes to spirituality. And we're not ready We're not ready for what God wants to show us. We're not ready to really be able to see because we are still gaining our nourishment from a spiritual bottle rather than pursuing, engaging, discussing, discerning, sharpening each other with biblical truth. 
There comes a point in time where the issues of right and wrong, of issues of black and white, merge together. And we have all these gray areas. And it's very hard for us to perceive what is true. Now, the world will teach you that truth is relative. The world's way will teach you that truth is relative, meaning that's what is true for you may not be true for me, or what's true for someone else may not be true, and that truth can change over time depending on cultural norms. And so we become more accepting to this issue or to that issue. And listen... They will always go to the very extreme to push their agenda. And the extreme would be, well, look, we can say, gosh, the church for hundreds of years preached slavery. That it was a re- I mean, it was an okay thing. And suddenly now the church doesn't approve of slavery. And so that's an example that the truth has evolved and the truth has changed. No, it's not an example of that the truth has changed. The truth has always been the truth. The realization is, the church finally had its eyes opened to what truth is. And I would submit to you that the church historically is usually about five decades behind where they need to be. Um, and if this, if, let's just say this, there's a reason that churches are plateaued and declining. I believe one is because some just buy into the culture of the day and then some are so irrelevant to the culture that no one will ever attend them. The reality for the local church is we don't compromise on truth. There is absolute truth, meaning that there is truth that is true for every time Every generation, whether we're talking about Noah's day, whether we're talking about Adam's day, whether we're talking about Jesus' day or Saul's day or George Washington's day or this very day, there is truth that is absolutely true, does not change regardless of what the cultural norms are. Our role as followers of Jesus Christ is not try to baptize cultural phenomenon. Our, our, our goal is not to make the culture Christian in the sense of going out and baptizing it. Our role is to impact the culture with the gospel. Not so that we conform to them, but so that they conform to us. Why? Because the church is centrally, corporately true. What we stand for is Jesus Christ, and there is no deviance to that. Our standard is Jesus. We need to make sure that we ask people, even our own lives, we adhere to the Father's will and not simply try to discern how we can make this out here the Father's will. Our job is not to conform the Father's will to our circumstances. It is to conform our circumstances to the Father's will. The Apostle Paul had a dramatic experience And Ananias was used as a messenger of God to help him see. So one of the things in the spiritual life in our journey is that we continually need to have our eyes opened. Continually to see what's around us. To perceive what is around us. So that we know how to live and act and impact those around us. We are sent. 
so that others may receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a messenger of the Most High God. And as a messenger of the Most High God, there are people that you have relationships with that you have the greatest potential to impact more so than any other person on this planet. And the question is, how are you impacting them? Ananias knew the reputation of Saul. He knew that Saul persecuted Christians. He knew that Saul was present when people had been killed in order to stamp out Christianity. Yet Ananias chose to be a willing participant and chose to be the messenger that he needed to be so that Saul might be able to see and so that the Holy Spirit might come upon him. Why? Because God said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to Israel and to their kings, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Saul was not a Billy Graham. Now, if you go to the cemetery or seminaries, I should say, I don't know if this is true today. Uh, I've shared this, on, I think, on a Wednesday evening, but it was true when I was there. Every preacher boy, you can see them a mile away. They smell preacherly. It's just, ugh, they're repulsive. Um, every preacher boy wants to be the next Billy Graham. Well, <clears throat> if you listen to my voice, I don't have one of those deep voices like Adrian Rogers. Uh, and what I've noticed over the years of listening, I mean, I listen to preachers all the time. Uh, and it's annoying when I run into someone who has a conversation outside the pulpit, and yet when they get inside the pulpit, there's this voice of thunder from the midst. You know, it, I, like, what's up with that? Uh, it's what I call preacher boy complex. Um, and it's a psychological, it needs to be in the DSM-5 or DSM-6 when it comes out. Uh, it, it is really a psychological disorder. But I, I say that to say this, that everybody aspires to be somebody. And in my profession for, uh, I wouldn't say centuries, but for generations, for the last 30 to 40 years, people aspire to be Billy Graham, we'll just say. Um, and I remember in a preaching class uh, about 15 years ago, I'm sitting, and they asked me who I aspire to be. Um, and we're going around the room and some of them said, well, I want to be Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And, you know, it, it even changed the voice when they had to say Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, or I want to be Adrian Rogers. Or, uh, and so it came my turn. I'm happy being me. What? I'm happy being me. I, I mean, God made me. I believe that what he wants is for me to be, be the best me that I can possibly be. And I also believe that he wants you to be the best you that you can be. Quit trying to be someone else. Oh, have I gone to preaching? God wants you to be the best you. And when you are at the best you that you can be, you will always be an agent of change and you will always be the messenger that he's called us to be. To speak into people's lives to bring sight to the blind. And then God does something amazing. He gives His Holy Spirit. We 
have been recipients of change. We have experienced what it's like to live in darkness and to be blinded. And for many of us who have trusted in Christ in this journey, all along the way, there's new things that we learn. There's new things that we see. There's new things that we perceive. I'll give you an illustration. And here's the thing. I'm not perfect at this, and I, you know, I'm a work in progress, and I'm learning this as well. But take, for example, this week, uh, I had gone to the uh, American Indian, uh, the Museum of the American Indian. It was a beautiful building. And outside one day, there is this lady. She has lit a candle on the walkway, and she is sitting... And Anderson passes by and he says, Dad, what's her problem? I said, buddy, she's from a different religion. And he says, well, why didn't she practice it in private? (laughs) Years ago, I I would have just avoided her, uh, passed her by. Uh, maybe someday I would have a conversation, but I didn't want to interrupt her. Um, And so I chose to pass her by. I didn't have a conversation with her. But in that moment, I said a prayer. And my prayer was sort of like this as I'm walking. Because listen, you pray as you can, not as you, uh, you pray as you can, not as you can. You don't have to always shut your eyes to pray. And so I'm walking with my kids and I'm praying. And my prayer was like this. God, I don't know her story, but I know that she's lost. She's praying to something that she perceives to be real. God, I pray that in time, through whatever means necessary, that you show her your truth and that she becomes a radiant ambassador for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to get in the habit of practicing the power of prayer to get in the habit of practicing the power of change. You don't have to have a a, a confrontational conversation with somebody in order to pray that God moves in someone's life. You, all we have to do is to make ourselves available. Listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit which which is living in us and be faithful to that. Begin by praying for people around you. It will lead to conversations through you. Because here's the reality. Once Ananias goes and sees Paul, and once Paul could see, he never took his eyes off of Jesus again. I want you to notice, it wasn't, it wasn't the Damascus Road experience that really changed his life. What changed his life is that a man by the name of Ananias, a nobody, became somebody because he made himself available to be God's messenger. And Ananias went to Saul. And through that conversation, the scales on Saul's eyes fell off Saul was able to see. The Holy Spirit entered in. Saul was baptized. He took some food and then his strength returned. And once Saul began to see 
with the real eyes that God intended him to have, with the spiritual vision that God intended him to have, he turned the world upside down. I would say to you that Paul's ability to be a missionary, Paul's ability to go out and turn the world upside down, yes, it's a result of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a result of the Spirit's work and the faithful obedience of a man named Ananias who made himself available. How do I know that Paul didn't take his eyes off Jesus? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, you'll see Paul saying this, For I am delivered not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That, that was for Paul. Everything that Paul did was centered in Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. Was centered in the power of God in that moment. And everywhere that Paul went, he impacted people. Why? Because he was a messenger of the one who radically changed and transformed his life. In this journey that we have and in the life that we have, there's much talk today about having a legacy. Leaving a legacy. All over Washington, there are monuments of people's legacy. A monument to this, a monument to that. Our greatest impact is not about the monuments that will be built in our memory. It is not about having, as I discovered, that there are, I don't forget how many statues, I think 120 or so statues in the U.S. Capitol building. And in the U.S. Capitol building, those statues either have to be marble or bronze, and two sta- a state can submit two, and there's some that Congress has, has, has commissioned. But the reality is you can't, You cannot stand as a statue in the hall of the Capitol without being dead first. And so, you know, there's these lasting tributes to people who have impacted our world. But the greatest impact is not going to be a monument that is erected in your memory or my memory. Uh, The greatest impact, the legacy, is not about the nice pithy cliché that will be etched on our tombstone... It will not be the books that we've written. It will not be the accolades that we've received. It will not be the awards. It will not be any of that. It will will not even even compare. The legacy that we leave is not the amount of money that you leave your children for your children to fight over. It's not the amount of houses that you've been able to build. It's not about having the American dream. It's not about dressing right or having the, being physically fit and all these things that we put so much energy in. Listen, there are so many people who are, who are physically fit, but who are spiritually inept. What matters is, how are you and me, how are we impacting the kingdom of God in the here and now? How are we being used by God to impact people's lives? The true test of the spirituality of a person is that person's ability to understand the purposes of God for his or her life and the ability, the ability to share those purposes of God with other people. 
That is your legacy. The ability to understand, to see with a God-given vision how God's purposes are affecting and moving in your life and aligning your life to those and the ability to be able to communicate that. Because in the reason it's a two-part, two-prong here, because there are so many people that are so in tune with the Father, but they cannot connect with people who are lost. So many people who are in tune with the Father and are spiritually just, <sighs> they're high on God. I just love Jesus. But their ability to connect to people who are experiencing hell on earth is not real. And I would submit to you that they will not have a legacy because our legacy is not just our ability to accept God. Our legacy is our ability to accept God and to impact the world for Christ. So my question today is several questions. One, do you recognize that you've been sent to impact others? Yes or no? Two, If you recognize that you've been sent to impact others, who are they and where are they today? Three, if you know who they are and where they are, what has prevented you from having a conversation? Four, recognizing that you have received the greatest gift of God, that is grace that has saved you, Recognizing that you understand that you need to be his messenger. Are you a person today that can truly see what God sees? Or do you, like Saul at the beginning of the story, have scales? The inability to see will affect your ability to lead. The inability to see will affect your ability to be a God-sent messenger. Seeing what God sees, hearing what God hears, moving as God would move, loving as God would love, impacting like what God would impact. Your legacy, your legacy begins when the scales fall off and you lean in to the calling that God has for each of you to be his messenger, to take his message, and to impact your world. Turning the world upside down down. Christ loves you. Christ yearns to have you on his team. And my prayer for you today is that you will see what God sees and that you will serve as God would serve. Ananias was obedient. He was a messenger. And as a result, Saul becomes Paul The Holy Spirit enters Saul's life. 
Saul is baptized. He takes some food. He regains his strength. And he never looked back. All he could see was Jesus Christ before him. All he could see was Jesus Christ behind him. All he could see was Jesus Christ in him. He turned the world upside down. And he suffered greatly. He suffered greatly as a result of being God's messenger. But he goes down in the history books, not only as the first missionary, but he goes down as a person who gave everything for the cause of Christ to teach people about Jesus. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to know Christ as a result, including, just want to bring you up to the history here, because of Paul's missionary journeys, ancient Gaul, what would become England and France and Scotland, became impacted by Christianity. Go back and look at your ancestry. Three-fourths of us in this room are direct descendants of Western Europe. All because Ananias was a messenger, Saul's life was changed, missionary journeys were done, people's lives were impacted, the gospel went through the entire world, and don't think that because the gospel went through the entire world centuries ago, that does not affect you in the pew today. You are here. You are here, miraculously, because a man named Ananias, who you don't even know, leaned in and became the messenger that he needed to be. Lit a fire, and Saul went out to all the world, Asia Minor and all beyond, and the mission of God moved. Europe was transformed. The church began to grow and excel. And yes, there's been issues and circumstances over its 2,000-year history. But Christ has impacted your life. And many of you know him. And you're willing to make him known because someone shared his story with you. You are where you are today as a result of a lot of different people. But all of us are here today as a result, all the way back to Acts chapter 9, a man named Ananias who became a missionary even for a season. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together. And Lord, as we come into this time of invitation, for those in this room who need to receive Christ, for those in this room who spiritually have been blinded, for those in this room who need to have the scales taken off, for those in this room who know someone that they need to be a messenger to, Lord, we come to you and we confess that we often fall short of your purpose and your will. Lord, open our eyes that we might see. Open our hearts that we might receive. Help us to be sensitive to your work. And this invitation as we respond, if there's someone that we know that desperately needs, desperately needs to have their eyes opened, in this invitation, Lord, I pray that we will pray directly for them. And also pray directly for us that you might give us opportunity and timing to speak into their lives. May we be the messenger that we need to be 
May the Holy Spirit show up in dramatic ways. And may you turn our world upside down through our willingness to pursue you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Like I said, if you're here today and you need to trust in Christ, or maybe there's someone that's on your heart that you need to lay at the altar, maybe today you're here and you would like to be a part and become an integral part of our fellowship here at First Baptist Church, this is the invitation, an invitation for us to respond to Holy Spirit's guidance. As we stand, as we sing, and as we respond, may we prayerfully consider the decisions that we make and take them as we come.